Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray, God, for this message. We pray for the kids' church, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Your kingdom is being established here on earth, Lord, in our lives, Lord God, in our midst. And we praise you and thank you, God, for it. So bless us today, God, as we study a little bit more in your word about the the kingdom of heaven, Lord, and the church. What part the church, the ecclesia, or ecclesia, uh, Lord, Plays the part that it plays in the kingdom of, the he- of, of heaven today, Lord. And so we praise you, God, for it. In your name I ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been looking, we looked at what the Old Testament had to say about the kingdom of heaven and how through the nation of Israel, the kingdom of heaven literally and from a national standpoint was being established here on earth in preparation for the revelation of the king to, to inhabit the throne of David for all eternity? And do you think God's intention changed so that it was not to be established here on earth? No. No, the kingdom of heaven, it's still God's priority. It's still God's intention to establish his kingdom here on earth. So last week, we looked at what Jesus in the Gospels had to say about the kingdom of heaven. And now, after, after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, what did the early church think about the kingdom of heaven? How did they talk about it? How did they think about it? And I want you to look in Acts 1, uh, verse 3 and verse 6, and you're going to find, did you know that Jesus, after he died and was resurrected, stayed here on earth and appeared to, to his disciples for 40 days? Did you know that? For 40 days... He continued to appear. What do I mean by appear? Well, literally, they would be in a room and Jesus would appear right there and talk to them. And it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a ghost that was appearing because Jesus ate with them. He let them touch him. And, and it was his resurrected body that they saw and that they experienced, that they listened to. And so for 40 days, Jesus talked to them. What do you think Jesus spoke to them about for 40 days? What was the common theme? Do you remember what it was when he first started ministering? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what, that was his message when he came. And for 40 days after he uh, was resurrected, here in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we see that he was saying the same thing. It must be incredibly important to us today if Jesus kept, kept pushing the issue, kept pushing the issue. Here's what he said. He appeared to them over the period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of heaven. How often do we think about the kingdom of heaven? How often do we talk about the kingdom of heaven? I'll tell you, I don't think it's enough, apparently. I'm, after this study, I'm realizing I don't think about the kingdom of heaven enough. I don't talk about the kingdom of heaven enough. And I don't act as a member of the kingdom of heaven enough. All right? So for 40 days, he continued to hammer on this. So during that 40 days, I can just picture the disciples sitting around with Jesus, still gazing at him, still in awe that here this man was killed. He was hung on a cross, and here we're actually talking to him, physically talking to him. And he's, don't you wish you could talk to Jesus? Wouldn't that help a little bit? (laughs) 
to be, we talk to Jesus, don't get me wrong, but don't you wish he could show up in person and you could talk to him? Someday that'll be possible. But here they were in verse 6. So we looked at verse 3, verse 6. They gathered around him on one occasion here and they asked him, Lord, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, you've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. At this time then, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that's how they had been born. That's how they'd been raised. Was the kingdom of heaven was a matter of the nationality that you were. You were a Jew and therefore you were part of the kingdom of God established here on earth. And so said, they said, at this time are you going to do that? Now how many of you have asked God, when God? Seriously. When are you going to answer my prayers? <laughs> When are you going to answer my questions? When are you going to do what I need you to do, God? That's what they were asking. At this time, when, God? Is it now, or should we expect it to be later? So Jesus answers their question in two parts. In verse 7, he said to them, it's, it's the most, I hate to say it, aggravating and frustrating thing because it's always about for me it's always come on God do it now I don't feel like waiting any longer but Jesus says it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father's established by his own authority because guess what we're talking about the kingdom of heaven he's in charge he's king he's ruler he's sovereign and I need to back off and I'm talking to myself right now (laughs) I need to back off and stop asking when, when, when so much, God, and say, God, the times you, the Bible says he holds his, our times in his hand. It's, it's for him to determine when. And so he says, it's, it's, by, it's my father to determine the times by his own authority. But you will receive power, like right away. What kind of power? Kingdom power. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven kingdom power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. What what does this mean? Well, kingdom ambassadors, all right? Representatives of the king who's seen the king, who's experienced the king, who's heard the king. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This kingdom was not going to have any boundaries anymore, no more territories, no more state lines or borders. This kingdom was going to go to the ends of the earth. It wasn't subject to language. It wasn't subject to anything. This kingdom is going to be a worldwide kingdom, and it says to the ends of the earth, established here on earth. That was Jesus' intention from the beginning, in the middle of history, and today. That has not changed. God's kingdom is to be advanced. And so at this time, the age of the church, the ecclesia, what does that sound like? The iglesia in Spanish, the church as we translate it in English, the ecclesia. I keep getting the accent wrong on that. The age of the church had begun with Jesus' statement right here. The age of the church had begun. And you know what? We're 2,000 years later, and we're still in the age of the church. And that's very significant to the kingdom of heaven. We need to realize that, and we'll understand that today. The church 
is the visible part of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's the only visible thing that you can see of the kingdom of heaven. Remembering back in Daniel, it said in the age of those kingdoms, the kingdom of God will be established here on earth. And right now, look around you. (laughs) This is the kingdom of heaven right here. Maybe not a big one. We may not say, well, we're not that powerful. But look around. This is it. This is what God has to work with right here. (laughs) Right here. And those of us that are missing as well. And so I want us to look at this because Jesus launched the church, the kingdom of heaven. He launched it. And then we see in Acts, if you ever want to read an interesting book, read the book of Acts. It's gripping. It's exciting. It's full of adventure. And it has a terrible ending because it just ends abruptly. And you want to keep reading, wanting to know what the rest of the book of Acts is. Well, let me tell you, the rest of the book of Acts is you. It's you. That's why it ends so abruptly, because God's saying, you're the rest of the story. You go out and be the kingdom of heaven that I've called you to be. You go flesh out the rest of the story. and Let's see what happens with a good ending. And so anyways, in the book of Acts, if you look at, at Acts 8.12, I'll give you just a couple of uh, miscellaneous scriptures here. We see that the church, the early church, that's the church, that's the people that knew Jesus and then went off and acted like the church, the ecclesia, all right, they went out and there was this man named Philip who who is one of of the, the church people and he was an evangelist. You know what an evangelist is, right? Somebody that goes out and tells people about Jesus. He was an evangelist and he went out and proclaimed what? the good news of the kingdom of God. So it didn't stop. These people were enamored. They were, their attention was captured with the kingdom of heaven. It meant everything to them. And they were talking about the name of Jesus, who was the king or who is the king, and he would baptize people. And if you look at in Acts 14, 22, uh, the, uh, the, the apostle Paul He went out strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And he said, we must go through many hardships, what? To enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. All right, so Jesus, you remember last week we talked about entering the kingdom of heaven and what it takes? The apostles, and here the apostle Paul was doing the same thing. He said, it's not easy to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must go through many hardships. Are you going through a hardship right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Are you going through a hardship right now? Have you gone through a hardship? Guess what? You're going through what it takes sometimes to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why do we have to go through hardships? You know, sometimes, many times, I question myself, why do I have to go through hardships? God's chipping stuff out of me. (laughs) You know, I hate it. I hate losing that part of me. But God knows that that part of me has got to go. And so we go through hardships. But it says we must go through hardships to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then at the very end of Acts, here Paul proclaims the kingdom of heaven and teaches about what? The Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches about the king. All right. In order to have a kingdom, you've got to have a king, and Jesus is that king. So we see in Acts that the early church didn't let go of this concept of the kingdom of heaven. They didn't let go of it. But 
continued to not only speak of it, but throughout the New Testament, so there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then there's Acts that tells about the early church, and then there's many books following that, many of which we would call epistles. Do you know what an epistle is? An epistle is a letter written for many of them from the Apostle Paul to the churches in modern-day Turkey, in Italy. So he wrote letters, and that forms the New Testament for us. All right, And in the New Testament, in those letters, the kingdom of heaven is discussed and described at length as well. So it was not a concept that was just kind of tapered off. No, it grew with force. It grew with strength. And if you look at Romans 14, 17, here the Apostle Paul, why is the book of Romans called the Romans? Well, it was written to the Roman church, to the church that was the gathering of believers that that gathered there in Rome, and he wrote in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, of trivial matters, you know, of if you have long hair or short hair, if you, if you wear certain clothes or don't wear certain clothes, if you meet on Saturday or if you meet on Sunday, if you meet in a house or you meet formally, it, those are trivial matters. The kingdom of God is not about trivial nitpicks here and there. No, it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he describes and says, hey, be careful. The kingdom of heaven is not about external stuff. The kingdom of heaven is about what God does inside of your heart. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And he goes on. um, Well, let let, let me pause here. I've got a note here. I wanted to, this is a little bit, a little bit of a tangent, but not too much. You'll see what what I mean. Again, the kingdom of heaven is not about externals, it's about internals. And I was... I was listening to a message of, a, of another preacher uh, this week or last week, and he said some things that just blew me away. One of the things that he said is, we don't need to brag about how much we love God. We need to brag about how much God loves us. Isn't that something? If there's anything, we need to go out and brag, God loves me so much. Wouldn't that be a little odd if I was just talking to somebody and I said, hey, God loves me. <laughs> They would think, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? But who in the Bible did this? Do you know someone in the Bible that bragged about how much God loved him? Anybody know? John. I think it was seven times in the book of John, he doesn't refer to himself so much as me, John, but he said, the disciple who Jesus loved. He bragged about how much God loved him. And maybe you don't go off. It wouldn't be a good idea to go to your your wife, your husband, your friends, your people who work, say, hey, God loves me, all right? I'm not talking about that. That might be a bad idea. But in your mind, as you think of yourself, you need to think of yourself as the one that Jesus loves, the one that Jesus loves. And if we compare and contrast Peter, remember one of the 12 disciples, Peter, and John, one of the other disciples, John was the one that was bragging about how much Jesus loved him. Where do we find John at the, at the Last Supper? He's leaning against Jesus because they ate kind of leaning. He was leaning against Jesus' chest. And Peter, when, when, um, when uh, was it uh, Judas left, or actually John, uh, Jesus said, whoever dips his bread in my wine is the one that's going to betray me. And, and John go, excuse me, Peter looks at 
John, who's leaning against Jesus, he says, ask the master what he's talking about. Everybody knew that John was close to Jesus. And they said, hey, ask Jesus. Whenever people come to you and say, what do you think God's trying to tell me? They know you're living close to Jesus. That's why people ask you. They, they want to know more about God through you. And so if you compare John and Peter, John was the one that Jesus loved and knew it. Peter bragged about how much he loved Jesus. He was the one that said, Lord, if everybody leaves you, I'm not leaving you. I'm passionate about you, Jesus. Though all leave you, I won't. And Jesus turned to him and says, hey, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And you know what? Let's look at what happened. As soon as Jesus got arrested, where was Peter, the passionate, loving one? He was out the door. He was running away. But at the foot of the cross, as Jesus was hanging there, who was standing right in front of Jesus? It was John, the one that Jesus loved. And so I challenge you, the kingdom of heaven is not about how passionate and how the, the fiery you are. It's about what Jesus is doing in your heart. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And so we look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and it talks about who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you think back to last Sunday, if you heard the message, uh, you know, we talked about who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And we also read this scripture, I believe it's in John, that says Jesus conferred the kingdom on his disciples and he confers his kingdom on me on us. You know what that means? It's our inheritance. The kingdom of heaven is conferred uh, at the at the last, you know, the 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 a living will. There's an inheritance that's associated with that will, and it confers the estate upon those who are to receive the estate. And so, when Jesus said, "I confer the kingdom of heaven on you," he's, he was saying, "I give it to you." And the inheritance isn't for later; it's for right now. Take the inheritance. I give you the kingdom. And we learned last week that Jesus said, I'm pleased to give you the kingdom of heaven. I'm happy. I want to give you the kingdom of heaven. So look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and here we find out who cannot have the kingdom of heaven conferred upon them. Who is excluded from that because of certain key things they do. All right? This is terrifying to me because we all have done some of these things and possibly are doing some of these things right now as we speak. But let's read this. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? So you would say, well, who's a wrongdoer? Or what is a wrongdoer? More specifically, what is a wrongdoing? What's wrong? All right? The Bible is very clear. It says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. All right? Who's, sexually, who's someone who's sexually immoral? Is someone who's actively living or, or, or sleeping and having relations with someone who's not their wife or they're not their husband? That's the sexually immoral, just to be very clear. Nor the idolaters. Who's the idolater? Well, that's someone who uh, worships themselves. You can be an idolater. That's probably the highest form of idolatry is someone who worships themselves. All right, Or you could worship someone else, look up to someone so much that they're up on a pedestal and they mean everything to you. And the way you know if you're worshiping someone is if they got knocked off that pedestal, your life is completely devastated. 
completely devastated. I remember we were watching this documentary on this on this soccer player, and this crazed fan girl somehow gets onto the soccer field, goes running straight to where the soccer player is is sitting, and obviously security is chasing her. They're trying to pin her down. She gets to the soccer player, I think. And, and the, the security is kind of holding her back, but he agrees, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and sign her autograph or say hi to her or whatever. And afterwards, they interviewed this girl, and she's falling apart, and she says, he noticed me. The soccer player noticed her. That's idolatry. <laughs> when you are so crazed about someone else that, that, that your life revolves around that person. And husbands and wives, we got to be careful with that. We can't idolize our husband or our wife so much that God doesn't mean more to us than, than that idol. So anyways, idolaters, um, adulterers, those are who are married and then go out and, and actively just pursue a lifestyle of having affair after affair after affair. Uh, adulterers, uh, men who have relations with men, so it's the, the homosexual. Um, or thieves, or those who are greedy, those who are uh, drunkards, all right? And that time there wasn't the epidemic of opioids and, and being able to stick a needle in your arm. So it wouldn't just be drunkards, but it'd be the, those who are addicts who just embrace that lifestyle. Now, we, I have a very addictive personality. Does my addictive personality exclude me from the kingdom of heaven? No, because God helps me every day not to just live and, you know, give in to my addictions and just live for my addictions, all right? I, I have, have had and have friends who are addicts. They're part of the kingdom of heaven. They're reaching out to God. They fall here and there. They get back in their addictions, but they keep reaching out to God. They keep reaching out to God. I have friends who are who have uh, you know have been lived a homosexual lifestyle, and they keep reaching out to God. They might slip, but they keep reaching out to God. They keep reaching out to God. So this is talking about someone who just gives you know they just give way to the wind and just go with whatever they feel like doing. That's what this is speaking of. Slam. Slanders, swindlers will uh, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God, and that's what some of you were. That's a lifestyle you used to have. You might still be struggling with it today. You might still slip and fall, but that's who you used to be. You've changed. You're not the person you used to be, all right? Because you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord, the King, all right? Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, all right? So who is it that will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's those who actively pursue and love this lifestyle and, and refuse to get away from it. Not talking about those of us that are trying to get out of that lifestyle and we slip and fall, but those who actively live this way and don't see anything wrong with it. Wrongdoers. Someday I will get put in jail for saying things that I've just said. These things right here will probably get me in trouble with the law because some of these are very countercultural to our American society. And for me to go and tell somebody, hey, that's wrong, can get me into a lot of trouble. So you know what? I'm willing to pay the price if that ever happens. You know, we have, the kingdom of heaven runs against society a lot of times, and we got to be ready to face the consequences. Colossians 1.13, which I've misquoted as Colossians 1.3, I think, in the last two Sundays, uh, it says, 
He, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What's that? The kingdom of darkness. Remember last week, you can be in the kingdom of heaven. You can be in the kingdom of darkness. It's your choice. Uh, But he's brought us out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son that he loves. It was written about in these books of the New Testament. It was written about. It was written about. And that's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. All right. As some of you are in the habit of doing. Because that kingdom is unshakable. When we gather together, the kingdom of heaven is unshakable. It says so in Hebrews 12, 23. You've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why do we feel so weak sometimes and so shaky sometimes? We don't assemble enough together. The more we assemble together, the stronger we get. The stronger we get. How do you assemble together? Well, I'm going to step on some people's toes probably right now. You know, mountain biking is a great way to assemble together. All right? You could go out. Two Christians, mountain biking together and commune together, and you could be strengthened because you've come together. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, and that is an unshakable place to be. You could go to lunch with somebody, a fellow believer, go to breakfast, be together. You can be strengthened in your faith because you're the ecclesia. You're, you're the gathering of believers together. Now, I certainly would encourage you at least once a week to come together in a church service on, on Wednesday nights when we break out into smaller ecclesias, smaller groups. We gather together. But don't undermine the power of getting together in your home sometimes to fellowship, to have dinner. That's part of the gathering as well. And you're strengthened. That's why it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As some are in the habit of doing. All right? Because we're strengthened whenever we get together. All right. So the kingdom of heaven is also talked about in Revelations. So we make our way through Acts. Then we make our way through the the epistles, the, the letters of the apostles to the churches. And then we get into Revelations. Let me tell you what, it's proclaimed in Revelations. The kingdom of heaven is uh, spoken of and addressed and, and pushed in Revelations as well. Revelations 1.6, it says, For he's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Revelation starts off in high gear talking about the kingdom of heaven, that we are the kingdom of heaven. It speaks of it in Revelations 5.10. You, were, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign where? On earth. Praise God. God wants to rule here on earth during the age of the church, and it's up to us to establish that rule here on earth. It, it, it reminds me, the way he puts this, of a kingdom of priests, it's a kingdom and priests, of what we read two or three weeks ago in, in Exodus when Moses was talking about this kingdom. He said in Exodus 19.6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Praise God. You are called to be holy, set apart. I'm called to be holy and set apart. A kingdom for God of priests. What does a priest do? A priest says, 
Here, I'm holding on to God. I'm going to reach out and grab someone else. All right? It's like grabbing hold of something electrical and getting shocked and then grabbing on to someone else and, and pulling them in. Jesus said, you follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you priests. I'm going to make you someone who's an intermediary between God and man so that you can bring them and then directly connect them into God. Directly connect them into God. Revelations 11.15, it says, uh, with a loud voice. Here's John, the disciple who Jesus loved. He's having these visions of heaven, and he's writing about them. But he says, he writes as he's seen this vision. He says, he heard loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. The kingdom of heaven. All right? Now it's up to you and me. Are we going to get, kick it into high gear and show who, what the kingdom is to those around us? We got to show what the kingdom of, of heaven is. So just to kind of put it into perspective a little bit. And to digress just a tad bit, I want you to look at this. The Word, that's the Bible, partially, you'll see, is the authority of the kingdom. The Word is the authority of the kingdom, all right? And so in Jeremiah 1, 9 uh, and 10, uh, Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10, it says, Then the Lord, so Jeremiah is this youngster, He's a young guy, and God calls him, just probably like Nasir's age, maybe 16, who knows, a little older, a little younger. But God calls Jeremiah, and Jeremiah writes down his calling. In verse 9, he says, Then the Lord, every time you see the word the Lord, it's the king. All right, the Lord is the king. Reaches out his hand and touches Jeremiah's mouth. Touches his mouth and says to him, I have put my words, the authority of the king, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you, now that you have this authority in your mouth, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. The word is the authority of the kingdom. If the word is unspoken, can the authority of the kingdom be released? No. God's placed that, uh, that word, or he placed that word in Jerah's mouth by touching his mouth. And we see a similar story of Isaiah. Isaiah saw the Lord, an angel, take some, some tongs up in heaven and took a burning coal and placed it in Isaiah's mouth. And it says, see, your sin has been atoned for. And now, in essence, you have the word of God, the authority of God in your mouth, and it's time to start proclaiming. He told Jeremiah, I want you to say everything that I tell you to say, because that's the authority of the kingdom. So we have the kingdom of, of heaven. We have the king. We have the authority of the king. We have the vehicle of the authority of the king, which is the word of God. That's why you and I, we need to read the word of God and not stop there. We need to speak the word of God. When you speak the word of God, the authority of God kicks in. So where does that leave us? Have you had God touch your mouth? I haven't. 
Have you had a vision of heaven where a coal was put in your mouth and all of a sudden you could start proclaiming and declaring the word of God? No, I haven't. Maybe you have, but not me. We have something different. We have something better. And I want you to listen to what it is. In Romans 10.1, the apostle Paul starts off speaking to, he says, brothers and sisters, all right? Brothers and sisters, meaning fellow Christians, fellow believers, and he tells them several things, but if you skip down into onto verse 8, it says, the Apostle Paul says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. You don't need a revelation from God because if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you start living your life for him, he places the word of God inside of you and he puts it in your mouth. And it's just waiting for you to open your mouth and start declaring the word of God over something or over somebody or to somebody. So look at this. How can we be sure that the word of God is near us, that it's in us? Well, if you look in John 1, not First John, but John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word. Well, this is interesting. I was thinking we were talking about the Bible. I was thinking about when God speaks to me that there was that Word. What is this Word? And the Word was with God. Okay, I can kind of see that. God has His Word, and it's with Him. Okay, I'm with you. And the Word was God. Whoa. Now I, I'm kind of lost here. I thought we were talking about the spoken Word, but here we're saying... The spoken word was God, I am not following you. In verse 2 it said, he was with God in the beginning, through him. Now all of a sudden we're talking about he and him. What is this getting at? Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made uh, that was made was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 12 Yet to all who received him, the word, to all those who believed in his name, all of a sudden the word has a name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh in verse 14, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. When we talk about the word, we're talking about Jesus himself. The word is in you. The word is in your mouth. What is in you? Jesus is in you. Jesus is on the tip of your tongue waiting to be spoken. He's given you the written word, the rhema word of God, which is a spiritual word of God where he speaks something into your heart, into your spirit. That's the rhema word of God. It's just on the tip of your tongue. Would you just say it? Would you just speak the word of God? Man, the authority of the kingdom will take place if you will just open your mouth and begin to utter the word of God, Jesus himself coming out of you because he lives in you. We know in Galatians 20, 22 that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. What? Christ lives in me. He's in me. John 14, 20, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and that I'm in you. And the, the word speaks of him coming and making a home in us. And then Revelations 3.20, it says he stands and knocks on the door. If anybody opens the door, I will come in him. Jesus, the word, is in us. The authority of the kingdom of heaven is in us. But we don't open our mouths enough to speak the word of God. Speak the word of God to what? 
Speak the word of God to your own hurt. Speak the word of God to your own temptation. Speak the word of God to your own depression. Speak the word of God to your own bad situation. Speak the word of God to that situation you might have at school or your family. Speak to it in the name of Jesus and say, I take authority over this and I pray the Lord's Prayer that I be delivered from all evil. I speak the word of God that you are going to defend me. I speak the word of God that I am going to be restored. Speak the word of God. Your situation will begin to turn around. Why? Because you're uttering the authority of the kingdom of heaven. We prayed for little Alex that was being bullied at school. To my knowledge, he hasn't been bullied a day since because we've spoken the word of God. Patsy's situation with Aaron and Justin. The word of God is spoken and things happen. Honesty, things are happening because we're speaking and declaring the word of God. Does that mean I just pick willy-nilly? I want a Ferrari. I speak the word. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what God's will is. God's will, honesty, is that you be defended. All right? And so we speak over that. We know what the will of God is, so we speak the word of God over those situations. Praise God, man. So the vehicle of the kingdom authority is the word of God that's living in us. So Jesus is seen and portrayed in Revelations as someone who's standing there with his mouth and a sharp sword sticking out of it. That's, this, that's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the living, active Word of God. There's nothing that can stand against the Word of God. He says, the Word that comes out of my mouth will go forth and it will produce the results that I sent them to produce. Nothing can stop the Word of God. Nothing can stop the Word of God. So, the ecclesia is <laughs> the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You are the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You need to start opening your mouth where you know the will of God and declare the will of God. You and I, we need to gather together for lunch and breakfast and dinner and come here in small groups and larger groups in and outside of this building and have church everywhere we go because that church will not be shaken will not be shaken. Jesus spoke incessantly about the kingdom of heaven all the way through. The Bible talks about it all the way through. It's obviously incredibly important. So picture this. I'm sitting on the airplane. I'm coming back. No, I'm going to Little Rock, Arkansas this week, and this skinny kind of 30-ish kind of guy sits down beside me, looks exhausted. And so I'm sitting beside him, I didn't want to bother him because he, he looked really tired. And I kind of got the impression he was military, but wasn't 100% sure. And so in the middle of the flight, I hear him just look at me. I didn't look at him. I just feel that he's turned to me. He says, I'm really tired. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. I can talk to this guy. I said, man, what's, what's going on? He said, oh, I just got back from a deployment in, uh, in Syria. I was like, Syria, really? So we start talking. It turns out he's, a, uh, he's actually a contractor. He's out of the military now, but he's uh, embedded with a group of, of special ops guys, and he's a drone mechanic. Um, so he gets the drone all prepped and ready, and then a soldier flies the drone for missions over Syria. And he's not just like it's, you know, on the border with Iraq, Syria. He's like 
in Syria, which, you know, he didn't go into too much detail there. But six months on, six months off, one year on, one year off. I mean, just exhausting deployments that he's doing. But I got to tell him about Jesus. And looking back on it now, I'm thinking, why didn't I just practice and say something about the kingdom of heaven? I didn't do it, but I told him, Jesus has got to be your Lord. He can't just be your your Savior. He's got to be your King because we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I'm getting more and more that way where you just you just go all the way, man. If there's an opportunity, you, you talk about the peace and the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, but you go all the way and say, do you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? And so here in 1 Corinthians 2.1, here's Paul writing to the church in Corinth, Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, all right, and in, in Greece back then as well. To the church, listen to this, how he writes this, to the church of God in Corinth. What was he saying? To the kingdom of God in Corinth. Praise God. If somebody were to write to us, they would say, to the kingdom of God in El Paso, Texas. It's time for us to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-oriented, do what we need to do to be strengthened and advance the kingdom of heaven in our city, in our family, in our school, in our work, wherever we go. Praise God. I'll finish with this. Uh, He goes on, though. Let let me read the rest of the verse. I'm sorry. Uh, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be what? Holy people. Holy people, that's kingdom language. Whenever you start talking about holy people, a holy priesthood, a nation set apart for God, that's spiritual language, and the Bible talks a spiritual language. Have you ever sat in church and said, I don't have the foggiest idea what that woman or that man's talking about up there? Have you ever been that way? Like, I don't know what they're talking about. They're getting all wired up and fired up, but what are they talking about? They're talking a spiritual language. And the Bible says that we need to get close to God to start understanding what he's telling us, what his voice is telling us. So if you're sitting here today and you haven't understood a word that I've said, don't feel bad. We've all been there before. But what I'd encourage you to do, if you don't understand half of what's being said, start asking God. Say, God, open my eyes that I might know you. The eyes of my heart, open my ears. I'd like to start hearing what you have to say. I want to know what you're saying, God. So if you don't understand, don't feel bad about it. Start seeking God and say, God, help me to understand you more. But look at this. Jesus uses, don't worry, I'm almost done here. Jesus uses the word ecclesia, ecclesia, I always get the accent wrong, twice in the Gospels, two times. And On one occasion, it's when he says, Peter says, you know, you're Christ. You're you're the Messiah. You're the king. And Jesus says, that hasn't been revealed to you from humanity. That's been revealed to you by my Father. And he says, I tell you what, on this declaration of faith, I'm going to build my church. He's been talking about the kingdom the whole time. And then he says, I'm going to build my church here on earth, this is the visible aspect of the kingdom. I'm going to build my church. And then he mentions that the church on another occasion as well. But the disciples misunderstood. They still thought, thought it was about a nationality. 
But it was not, they, they weren't surprised by this because they, he kept talking about a kingdom. They were expecting, expecting him to take over the kingship over Israel. And so the gathering of believers was not an unusual term for them. In fact, uh, the Israelites, the Jews, talked about the holy gathering uh, of Israel as the ecclesia. That's, that's what they thought of. That's what, so it wasn't surprising that Jesus used that word but he was declaring his kingdom. And to what purpose uh, was he declaring this? It was beyond local. I've said this and I'll say it again. It was beyond a local government. It was beyond nationality. It was beyond borders. It was a worldwide kingdom. And that's why we send missionaries to other places. We're advancing the kingdom of heaven. We're advancing the kingdom of heaven. So I encourage you, whether you're a student, whether you're a uh, a teacher, whether you're, uh, I don't know, working somewhere, you advance the kingdom of heaven. Take the kingdom of heaven with you. Jesus inside is inside of you. We're declaring that Jesus rules over schools. There might be a principle there, but we're saying Jesus rules over the school and the principle. We're declaring that Jesus rules over marriages. So a marriage that's struggling, no, Jesus, you're ruler over that marriage. We're declaring that Jesus rules over companies. There's a CEO there, but you know what? Jesus rules over that CEO. We have a president. You might like him. You might not like him. I don't care. Jesus rules over that president in the name of Jesus. All right? Jesus rules. We're establishing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Do you understand? Do you understand? Are you, are you, are you, do you want to be part of this? You want to be part of this? Israel, they, they were uh, being defeated by the Midianites, I think it was, and God called Gideon to stand up, and he surrounded himself with, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people. They were going to go against Midian and defeat him, and Jesus said, no, or God said, no, let's pair back, and so he paired back, and I think he ended up with Ten or 20,000 people. And God said, you still have too many people. If you do it with this many people, you think it was you. All right? So I want you to take everybody down to the river down there. And whoever laps the water like a dog, I want you to tell them to go home. But if somebody nobly sits down on their knee and scoops it up with their hand, then you keep them. You know how many people uh, Gideon ended up with? 300 people against... It says, I think it was Midian, right? Okay. Midian had so many people, it looked like swarms. I mean, you couldn't count the number of, of people in their army. And so Gideon took 300 people and with the power of God defeated that entire army. Let me tell you what. Look around us. There's probably, I don't know, 40 of us here. You know what? If one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Picture what 40 of us can do in this, in this community. Let's be used of God. Let's be used of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your teachings and your instruction in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, this wasn't idle talk. This wasn't just some dreamed-up concept contrived, Lord, to get people pumped up or to rally people around you. No, God, you spoke of the kingdom of heaven because it was a reality. It was a reality. 
Lord God, and the kingdom of heaven transcends every language. We could go over to Mexico and we would find the kingdom of heaven being established there across the border. We could go up to Canada and we would find brothers and sisters, some of them French speaking, that the kingdom of heaven is being established there. Lord, we could go down to the tip of Chile and South America Lord, and we'd find that the kingdom of heaven is being established there. We could go into a Muslim country like Iran and find that there's over a million believers who may not speak any English, who may not know us as Americans, but they know us as Christians. The kingdom of heaven is advancing forcefully in Russia. Lord, it's advancing forcefully in Europe. Lord, it's advancing forcefully in, in, in India, Lord God, in Asia, Lord Jesus. We praise you, God. This is a worldwide movement in China, Lord Jesus. Lord, the kingdom of heaven is popping up everywhere. Lord, and you're not going to come until the last person hears about the kingdom of heaven. So it's our, it's our purpose. It's our opportunity. It's our challenge, Lord God, to declare the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. To be militant about who Jesus is. That he reigns over our assistant principal. He reigns over our principal. He reigns over our boss and our boss's boss. Lord, you reign over marriages that are falling apart. You, you reign over uh, households that are dysfunctional. You reign over mayors and congressmen and senators and presidents and, and kings and dictators. Haters, Lord, you reign, and we declare your reign, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, begin to rise up in, in this Holy Spirit. You said, oh God, that you would give us power, kingdom authority, Lord, after that the Holy Spirit came upon us. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit in this day and age. We need the outpouring and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, oh God. And so us, Lord, this 40, 45 people, Lord, we're going to rise up. We're going to rise up. Just like Hannah rose up when she was barren, she couldn't have a child. The Bible says that she stood up. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to begin to stand up, spiritually speaking, and say, enough's enough. I'm not going to put up with this mess anymore. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son of God. And I'm going to start acting like I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. You said you've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. We've got all that we need, Lord Jesus. So release those things to us that we need. Withhold those things from us that we do not need, Lord, and help us to be at our Father's work, Lord, doing what we need to do. And we thank you, Jesus, for it. In your name we pray. Amen.